Thank you for listening to the Maranatha Free Lutheran Church Sermon Archive. It's our hope that this message would encourage you in your faith and would help you to get to know God's love, grace, and mercy in a personal way. If you have any questions on the sermon or would like to know more about Maranatha, please visit us on the web at maranathafreelutheran.com or call our church office at 218-498-2808. Thank you, and may God bless. Imagine that you are going through one of the most difficult and challenging times in your life. Personally, maybe in your workplace or other things as well, and and you're feeling rather alone in it. What kind of advice do you really need to hear at that point? I picture the situation in which Paul writes this second letter to Timothy. And I see two men, both being stretched to the limit, you might say. Uh, The older one, the Apostle Paul, is in this dank dungeon prison in Rome where he has little likelihood of of getting set free and actually the strong possibility of instead being unjustly executed just because he's been outspoken in proclaiming his faith in Jesus Christ. And, And most of his fellow Christians in the area have deserted him. The young man, Timothy, um, whom Paul writes to here, is uh, of very timid nature and has been thrust at a young age into leadership of, a, of Christian congregations in a city that's miles away. And there are, you might say, rabble-rousers in his congregation who are, who are stirring up trouble between parishioners and trying to get Timothy to change his theology and, and to focus on side issues rather than the gospel of Jesus Christ. Last week, Pastor Ryan led us through the end of chapter 1, where where Paul declared that even if all those others deserted him and and were ashamed of his uh, physically pathetic situation there in this dungeon prison, yet he was not ashamed to be a prisoner for the sake of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And, And Paul encouraged Timothy to not be ashamed either. And as we get now to chapter 2 today, Paul has some strong words of exhortation for Timothy, uh, and he's seeking to encourage him and to sharpen his, his life focus. And I believe that the Holy Spirit of God desires that these verses that we look at today encourage each of us as well in whatever we're encountering in our lives and help to sharpen also our focus on the things that really matter as well. And so I invite you to look with me at uh, 2 Timothy chapter 2, and we'll be reading uh, beginning with verse 1. And would you stand in reverence to God's word as we read? You then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And what you've heard from me in the presence of many witnesses and trust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Share in suffering as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. No soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits since his aim is to please the one who enlisted him. An athlete is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. It's a hardworking farmer who ought to have the first share of the crops. Think over what I say, for the Lord will give you understanding in everything. Remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, the offspring of David as preached in my gospel, for which I am suffering, bound with chains as a criminal, but the word of God is not bound. Therefore I endure everything for the sake of the elect, that they also may obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. The saying is trustworthy, for if we have died with him, we will also live with him. If we endure, he will also reign with him. 
or we will also reign with him. If we deny him, he will also deny us. If we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. Let us pause and pray. Oh, Lord God, we thank you for this, your word in this letter from Paul to Timothy. Lord, as we think of their situations and, and the difficulties they encountered, uh, may the encouragement here and the exhortation here speak to our hearts and about things in our lives as well, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Please be seated. There are five imperative verbs in this section of Paul's letter. And all that might not mean a whole lot to some of you, except that it sounds like that what's coming next is going to be some kind of an uh, English grammar lesson, and maybe you're starting to already tune this out. Hang in there with me a bit. The grammar lesson is going to be very short. Imperative verbs uh, are simply verbs that express a command or a request for action. They command us to do or to be. And so knowing what we know about both Paul and Timothy's challenging situations, Paul the prisoner says to Timothy, this timid young leader here in verse 1, you then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. He's, he's saying then uh, with this, never mind what other people are thinking or saying or doing, or how shy you might feel or how hesitant you may be to lead, but as for you, Timothy, be strong. Is, is that what he's saying? Is that what a timid leader needs to hear? Man up, be strong. John Stott says this. He says, such advice would be absurd. He might as well have told a snail to be quick or a horse to fly as to command a man as timid as Timothy to be strong. But you see, this imperative here is, is not to be strong in himself. It, it is not to just man up. This particular verb is a passive imperative, which then means to be strengthened. How? By the grace that is in Christ Jesus. This is not something generated from within oneself, but a strength that is received from one, from one outside of himself. And, and Timothy is to then look to the Lord Jesus to give him the strength that he needs to minister and to lead in the congregations there at Ephesus. And Jesus, who gives his followers grace for every trial that they encounter, will give his grace to Timothy. And the same is true for us today as well. In whatever challenging situations we are facing, we are not called to just tough it out on our own, but to lean in to Jesus, our Lord and Savior, and pray and ask him to strengthen us and to trust them that he will do so. Oli Halsby says this, he says, The essence of prayer is helplessness. Prayer is simply telling God in which ways I am helpless today. Do you and I do that? We're all weak in some ways. We're all dealing with circumstances that are beyond our control. Do we go to the Lord in prayer about those things and seek his strength, or are we trying to just tough it out on our own? The Apostle Paul, earlier in his life, had repeatedly gone to the Lord in prayer about some physical limitation that he was encountering. Over, and, and over time, he had come to this conclusion that the Lord was telling him that he would need to learn to live with this. And, and he was saying to him, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is perfected in weakness. 
whatever difficulty you are encountering in your life today, this word to Timothy is also a word for you. Be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. We can't do the other four imperatives for life here if we don't first get this one right. Look to the Lord Jesus for your strength each day. The second imperative is in the next verse. Having told Timothy, first of all, to be strengthened in the grace that is in Christ Jesus, he now reminds Timothy of the job that he's left him at Ephesus to do. And he says this, Entrust to faithful men what you've heard from me. And that word entrust, it it, uh, means to place something in the hands of another whom you trust with it. It's to deposit or to commit for safekeeping. For instance, when you put money in the bank, you put it there for safekeeping. And then you are trusting that the people at that bank will take care of it and they'll keep record of it and, it will, and they'll give that amount back to you when you need it, albeit with very little interest these days, but you still believe that it's secure there. And if you didn't trust the management of that bank, you'd take your money to a different one where there were people you did trust with it. And Paul is reminding Timothy here, and you and I today, that a deposit has been given to each one of us to take care of. And that deposit is the gospel of Jesus Christ and all of the connected teachings and of the Bible. And, and Paul addressing Timothy then refers to that deposit here as, as the things that you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses. The things that Paul taught to people in various cities as they went on their joint missionary journeys. Things like uh, how Jesus was truly the fulfillment of all the Old Testament prophecy about this promised Messiah or Savior from sin. Those things Timothy was not to sit on, but he was to pass on to others. But not just to anyone. Yes, the gospel, the the good news of Jesus Christ was meant for everyone, but you see, in, in order for it to spread across the globe, now and in generations to come, it needs to be entrusted to people who will also pass it on. And so notice here what I call Paul's mandate really for disciple making. That is, for looking for and then spending time with people who will be faithful to not just learn the gospel, but also pass it on to others as well. And there, in in verse 2 then, it's interesting when you think about it this way, there are four people involved. And there are four stages then of transmission of the truth. There is Paul. The apostle teaching and entrusting God's word to Timothy, who then is to look for and entrust to faithful men, who will then do the same with others also. And thus with this pattern, then the teaching is passed on indefinitely. But now think about what would happen if Timothy spent all of his time teaching God's word to people who learned it, but just sat on it and didn't pass it on then the spread of the gospel in that area would stop. And I I tell you, it was this realization that that got me about 15 years ago to stop just preparing sermons and Bible studies for the masses and and to start also focusing on individual men to spend time with in in small groups of men, um, what I sometimes call triads or quadrads, that would meet together on an ongoing basis and study God's word together and pray together, support each other in their lives. And as I think about it and look back on some years here now, at least 14 men come to my mind that I've been involved with in that way we're spending extended periods of time meeting with together, uh, both in Minot and here. 
And I believe that, the, that God has honored that, that time commitment. And we have seen some strong friendships develop among Christian men. And we've seen leaders raised up in churches. And several of those men since have, have moved on. Job transfers and other things, and they're serving other places as well. Discipleship involves passing on biblical knowledge, but it also involves passing on a way of life. And that's what Paul said here in Philippians, for instance, in chapter 4, where he said it this way, the things that you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. With that in mind, recognize then the significance of relationships that we have, including then and especially even with our own families. That's the place to start in seeking to pass on the faith, both in biblical knowledge and also in way of life. The third imperative found here is in verse 3 and following then, and that is this, suffer hardship with me as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. Uh, ESV says, share in suffering as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. We know of Paul's current suffering that was going on there in that prison dungeon. Awful conditions. We wouldn't wish them on anyone. So what is he saying here? Suffer hardship with me? Come join me in prison? No. The next chapter, um, chapter 3, verse 12, here he, he will say it this way. He'll say, indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. And, and so... Embrace that reality. Expect to suffer for the gospel. Some of that hardship will involve persecution. Some of it involve sacrifice. And in the next verses here, then, Paul gives three different illustrations to bring home that point. And the first one is, is of a soldier in active duty. And he says, no soldier in active duty entangles himself in the affairs of everyday life so that he may please the one who enlisted him. Tertullian wrote on a, uh, something called an address to martyrs, and, and he said it this way. No soldier comes to the war surrounded by luxuries, nor goes into action from a comfortable bedroom, but from the makeshift narrow tent where every kind of hardness and severity and unpleasantness can be found. Uh, I've been learning in the last couple of years a little bit more about the life of soldiers. I have two sons in different branches of the military, and, you know, active-duty soldiers live less encumbered by their earthly possessions. And, and they pile the rest of their possessions in, in their parents' basements. <laughs> in, in training, recruits are, are to put all kinds of physical hardships. And, and they go through uh, grueling physical tests of endurance and, and uh, primitive living conditions and, and sleep deprivation and, and less than great food. Uh, one of our boys gave gave us some MREs for Christmas. I don't know if you know what that is. That's military-issue meals ready to eat. Uh, they're edible, but hardly comparable to Gene's cooking. Soldiers learn, though, to eat MREs to get them used to conditions uh, that they'll be called to in battle that are going to be far worse than just mediocre food. Well, the new life goal of a soldier is to please the one that enlisted him or, or the one that is over him, like the sergeant. And so with the Christian, his new goal becomes to please the one who enlisted him, who was over him, that is Jesus Christ. Paul gives another example of people who must suffer hardship here, and that's the competing athlete. And he says if someone likewise competes as an athlete, he's not 
crowned as a victor unless he competes according to the rules. Well, that's self-explanatory. But, you know, being an athlete requires discipline in training and also then in the race or in the game. And so, for instance, then a runner must stay on the racetrack if he wants to place in the meet. And the basketball player must dribble the ball when he runs down the court with it and must limit aggressiveness on defense or he falls out. And if they don't follow the rules, they're kicked out of the race or the game. So he's saying the Christian life will involve discipline and it'll involve living by moral standards that we say we believe. And if we don't do so, we might hinder others from coming to faith. Or we might even drift away from the faith altogether. A third example he gives here is of the hardworking farmer. He says the hardworking farmer ought to be the first to receive his share of the crops. And you know, farming has changed a lot in my lifetime. I don't know many farmers that are still using the pitchfork to clean their barn um, or, or hauling hay bales by hand very much. But it still involves grueling hours. And that means working day and night, especially during spring planting and harvest. And if you don't put in the work, you don't get the crop. And so Paul is saying regarding the Christian life, there is a goal of harvest there too. Harvest there is a life of holiness and Christian witness that then helps others come to faith in Christ. And growing in holiness and in Christian witness requires then some regular patterns. Some patterns of being in God's word and in prayer and, and some priorities of worship and Christian fellowship and being willing then to love people sacrificially and even to speak then the name of Jesus Christ to others. John Stott says this, he says, This notion that Christian service is hard work is so unpopular in some relaxed Christian circles today. I'd have to agree with him. We in our country are so used to the Christian life being too easy, you might say. Have we gotten lazy and forgotten the examples of the soldier and the athlete and the hardworking farmer? Are we willing to sacrifice and to re refocus our priorities for the sake of the gospel of Jesus Christ? Paul exhorts Timothy and us as well then to suffer hardship along with him in order that the gospel might spread and others might be saved. There are two more imperatives in these verses. And Again, a brief grammar lesson here. Both of those are present active imperatives. And that means that they are commands that are expected to be followed, not just once, but as an ongoing process. And so, in other words, in verse 7 might be understood to be this. Keep on thinking over what I say, and the Lord will keep giving you understanding. Gaining understanding from the Lord is an ongoing process. It involves both human study and divine illumination. You, you can't just expect the Lord to zap us with understanding of spiritual things without doing the work of digging into God's Word. And that means Bible study on our own and in the company of others, reading the scriptures and other resources that help us to understand then the ways of God and doing so prayerfully, asking God to speak to us through His Word and apply it to our hearts and lives. The last imperative here is in verse 8. And, and Paul is telling Timothy then that as you go about your work, strengthened daily by the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, and as you entrust the things you've learned to other faithful men who will keep passing it on, and, and as you join me in suffering hardship to do so, and, and as you keep thinking over these things, 
keep on remembering Jesus Christ. He is who we too are to set our eyes on. The one who was willing to suffer abuse from ungodly men and to die on the cross for the sake of you and I in order that we would be forgiven of our sins. Keep on remembering him. And as we remember him, we recognize him as the offspring of David. And that shows us that Jesus was truly human. He was the promised Messiah that would come through the bloodline of King David as promised by the prophets for hundreds of years. And remember about Jesus that in him God fulfilled then his promise of a savior for sinners. And also remember that Jesus is risen from the dead. Three days after his death on the cross and his burial in Joseph's tomb, his dead body rose to life again. And that is something that only God can accomplish. And because Jesus' human body rose from the dead, we too can anticipate such a resurrection someday for all who believe in him. And what a comfort that was for Paul, who was facing his own imminent death. In Jesus Christ, he knew his sins of the past were all forgiven, and also he knew the promise of eternal life in heaven with Jesus when his earthly life was done. And so Paul reminds Timothy here, remember Jesus as I preached in my gospel, and remember that message of eternal life in Jesus, for which I'm suffering, bound here now in a dungeon. Then just glance at what comes next here. It seems to me that, that Paul brightens up about this additional thought. He's, he's thinking, I am helplessly bound here in this prison, but God's word is not bound. It continues to spread, and no one can stop it, no matter what they do to me, he's thinking. Jesus Christ promised that he'd build his church, and the gates of hell would not prevail against it. And so Paul was willing to continue to endure suffering that others might obtain salvation. And Paul wraps up his thought in this section with, with a couple of short sayings. And these are possibly words from hymns of the past. Um, and he says about them that, that these words are trustworthy sayings. And the first saying relates really to those Christians who remain true to the faith and endure to the end of their earthly life. And he says about them, if we have died with him, we will also live with him. If we endure, we will also reign with him. The Christian life is pictured here as a life of dying to self and living in a relationship with Jesus Christ and enduring suffering in this life. But what a change in the next, reigning with Christ in heaven someday. The second thing we need to look at very carefully here. If we deny him, he will also deny us. If we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. Well, that fits very much with something Jesus said in Matthew chapter 10. It tells us that Jesus' words were, Everyone who acknowledges me before men, I will also acknowledge before my Father who is in heaven. Whoever denies me before men, I will also deny him before my Father who is in heaven. And those are rather sobering words. To on judgment day have Jesus say to the heavenly father, no, he's not one of ours. That's to condemn that one to eternal judgment in hell. And it is important that we recognize the denial that Jesus and Paul refer to here is not a one-time thing, but it's a permanent denial of belief in Jesus. Peter, for instance, denied Christ three times. But he repented of his denials, and he was forgiven. And so can anyone else be who repents. 
But there's something terribly illogical and denying of reality for someone who has had no time for belief in Jesus all of his earthly life to somehow then think that Jesus would still welcome him into heaven with him when he dies. Look again at, at part of that last saying there, verse 13. If we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. I believe that this saying in this context has been sometimes misunderstood to be intended as a comfort that though we are all sinners and will not be completely faithful, yet God is faithful. And that is true. But there's more to this here in this context. You see, to be faithless is to be without faith. It's to either never believe or to give up believing. And if one dies in that condition, it's fatal, according to Scripture. Because, you see, God is always faithful to his word, and that means that he is faithful both to his promises of blessing and to those of judgment. Linsky said it this way, Men expect Christ on judgment day to deny all of his warning threats and, and give them and thus himself the lie and, and let these, his deniers, enter into heaven as do his faithful believers. He's not able to do so. You see, he cannot deny himself. His character demands it. He will always be true to his word. And that we can count on. And that's why Paul was willing to, if necessary, die a martyr's death in order that the gospel of forgiveness of sin and eternal life for all who repent and put their trust in Christ, that gospel would be proclaimed to the ends of the earth. We've been challenged today. Challenged to be, be strengthened by the grace that is offered to us in Christ Jesus so that we will be about God's work and that we will even be willing to suffer hardship as we are working to entrust his word to others who will be faithful to pass it on. And all the while then remembering Jesus who died and who rose from the dead and in whom we have the promise of forgiveness of sin and eternal life in heaven and also the warning of judgment for those who reject him. Let us pray. Well, Lord God, we thank you for your word today. Thank you that Paul recognized that he was weak and helpless there in the dungeon, but that you would give him help, you would give him strength, and you would do the same for Timothy that he wrote to. Thank you, Lord, that he also recognized that though he was bound there in prison, yet your word is not bound. It continued to be proclaimed then and even all the way to today. And it continues to offer hope for all sinners who admit their sin and see their need for forgiveness and trust in Jesus. We thank you that in him there is forgiveness and eternal life. And Lord, we've also been reminded today that there is a warning here that the words that you have given warning of rejecting you uh, have consequences if, if we not, do not respond in faith. And, and so, Lord, I pray if there be somebody who does not know you today, who's unsure uh, of their relationship with you, that you'd help them, that they'd humble themselves in recognition of their sin and, and that also recognition that Jesus came for them, that there is forgiveness for them in him and there's eternal life. 
And Lord, we just ask that you use us as a congregation to continue to share your word in, in a way that your Holy Spirit powerfully speaks through it to, to draw others to you. Uh, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.